The following audio is from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org. Please open your Bibles with me to the book of 1 John, chapter 2. 1 John, chapter 2. We're looking at verses 18 through 23. 18 through 23, you remember our setting here, the Apostle John. He's advanced in years, probably 90 plus He's the last living apostle, the oldest Christians alive, and he writes to the churches surrounding Ephesus, the kind of the base church for uh, where he had been ministering. And he's writing to encourage, he's writing to strengthen, he's writing to warn. And today he's going to write very specifically about this, this spirit of Antichrist that was prevalent even in the early church. Imagine the church isn't even a hundred years old and already there is false teaching, false doctrine, those that are coming against the spirit of Christ. And I've entitled today's message, The Lies of the Last Hour. Take a look with me, picking up in verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. And you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Very strong warning here from John, very clear language about what's going on there, even in the early church. Three areas that I'd like you to consider with me, kind of drawn out from our text today. First, we notice the first point here on my outline is that John says, little children, it is the last hour. Point one, it is the last hour. Interesting that John would say uh, the last hour. You almost get the impression that John is expecting Christ's return at any time. That Christ would be imminently coming back to establish his earthly kingdom. Jesus had made these promises. It had been prophesied. John had something of an expectation. And this last days that we now kind of qualify, Describe as the time between Christ's first coming and second coming, you need to understand that in the early church, they were expectant that they would be alive to see the return of Christ. They did not anticipate 2,000 years of history. They believed that Christ was coming soon. I was at a pastor's conference here recently, and uh, Greg Laurie was one of the guest speakers. You know Greg Laurie, the pastor who leads the Harvest Crusade. And he was talking about, just kind of nostalgic, a little bit about the, the, uh, what's been co- come to be known as the Jesus movement. 
that time when the Calvary Chapel movement was kind of first birthed into existence back in the early 1970s. And people were coming to faith by the thousands. If you've ever seen any pictures of some of the baptisms that they did, I mean literally hundreds and hundreds of people coming to be baptized. Just this kind of harvest of God moving through the nation, bringing so many young people to faith. And that came to be known as the Jesus Movement. Calvary Chapel was kind of in the center of that. It was happening not just at Calvary Chapel, but really all over. And God was just moving sovereignly to bring in this work. But one of the things that Greg said was so prevalent in that, that work is that as people were getting saved and all these people coming to faith, the one thing that they all really had in their hearts was the certainty that Jesus was coming soon. There was just like this expectation, this anticipation that Jesus was coming in our time. And they were so grateful to have come to faith in time because Jesus would be coming at any time. Now, of course, time goes by, doesn't it? And history continues to move on. And and Jesus doesn't return. And, And the tendency is that we kind of begin to get a little slothful in our expectation. And we think, well... Yeah, I know he's coming, he could come, but probably not. I mean, after all, it's been 2,000 years, it's been 40 years since the Jesus movement, even recent expectations. I mean, is Jesus really coming soon? Well, I believe that the scriptures encourage us to live in a place of readiness. And John, and and what John said was not unique to John. Let me remind you of what the other apostles were declaring during this time. Peter said, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. That's 1 Peter 4, 7. 2 Peter 3, 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night when you don't expect. Paul said to the Philippian church, our citizenship is in heaven from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're eagerly waiting for him. He goes on to say to the church in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians 1, 9 and 10, he says, uh, you've turned from idols to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This doctrine of imminence, this anticipation that Jesus could be coming at any moment, it seems that the Holy Spirit has kept this alive in the church, not only from the early days, but throughout all generations. You can track from generation to generation, God has kept alive this hope in the heart of his people. And now we don't know when he's coming, but we know that he is coming, and we believe that he could and may very well be coming soon. It was Jesus who would say this to the Apostle John. And John recorded it for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 22 and verse 20. John, kind of at the end of that revelation, speaking of Jesus, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming quickly. And John's response, amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. John expected Jesus's return. John was ready for Jesus's return And this is a healthy place to keep your heart. Now, I'm not suggesting you trick yourself into believing that he's coming soon. I ask you to consider the day in which we live in. John said that he was living in the last hour. We must be in the last minutes. And we see what's going on in the world today. We have even, I think, more reason to anticipate his soon return. 
We've seen even more prophetic end time prophecies coming into fruition. And John reestablishes this as the the hope. And that hope, listen, the, the hope of Jesus and his coming kingdom and eternal life and all that he has promised, that is the anchor for your soul. Listen, we're living in some troubling times. You don't, you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a prophet to see that, wow, things are getting rattled. We're living in turbulent times as a nation. We're living in troubled times on the globe. What's next? What will this week's news bring to us? It's almost like it's coming. We know it's coming. What will be the next crisis that we will be hearing about? Will it be closer to home? Who knows? But there is this unsettledness, this, this fear, this confusion, this, uh, you know, what, nobody knows what to do. Nobody has an answer. What do we do? Oh, you know, there's, there, we need to do this. We need to do that. But these things are advancing forward. And I'm, I, I say this to us as a church. Listen, our hope, our confidence, it has to be anchored not in the news, not in what's going on, but it needs to be anchored in the hope of the promises of God that he has made to us and his people in Christ Jesus. The the writer of Hebrews, speaking of this salvation that we have in Hebrews 6.19, says this hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast. The hope of salvation, the hope of his return. I fear that I, don't, I shouldn't say a fear, but this is my own personal observation. And I think especially in the American Christian climate. You know, we're, we're, we've, we've become so American dream oriented. We've become so, you know, God fulfill my dreams and aspirations in this life oriented. That a lot of our, our hope, it's not anchored in the eternal things. Now, we wouldn't necessarily say that, oh, no, we do believe it. But, but so much of our hope is anchored in the here and now, the temporal. And, and some of it's the fault, I think, of, of just some of the focus of the teaching and preaching in the body of Christ today. Today's your day to dream. Today's the fulfillment of all the blessings and fullness of God. You're going to have all in this life. God's going to do it for you. Favor's coming your way. Your miracle's just around the corner. Now, listen, I do believe that the gospel is a message of hope for today. I don't want to diminish your hope in God meeting you right now in your circumstance, in this life. He will, he does, he has, he's faithful. But I do believe that the Christian hope is so much bigger than the aspirations of this life. Because here's what happens. If all of it is focused on the here and now, how, how vulnerable are we to disappointment and frustration? And I thought God was going to do it, and it didn't happen. I thought this would happen in my life by now, and it isn't. Oh, I thought that, you know, God, you being in my life, you were going to sh- open up these doors, and there was going to be nothing but favor. And now, look, I'm having trouble. I'm having trial. I've got health concerns. I've got loved ones that are not walking with the Lord. I've got issues. Lord, where's all of this hope? Now, as I mentioned, I believe God is our hope both in this life and the life to come. But I am very thankful that the Lord 
has solved not just issues of this life, but God has solved the greatest enemy of all, the grave. God has conquered sin, death, and the grave. Our hope is in the eternal promises of God. The Apostle Paul said something interesting, 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men the most pitiable. Paul said, listen, if salvation is only about what it can do for me in this life, man, what a pity. Because for the Apostle Paul, he had had set aside much of his aspirations in this life to lay hold of the aspirations and the call for eternal life. Paul was investing his life in eternal things, even at the sacrifice of some temporal blessing and opportunity. And Paul said, man, if I've got it wrong, if there's nothing past this life, man, I've, I've blown it. I've misplaced my investment here. And so I think John reminds us that the hour is short. You know, knowing that Christ re- is returning, knowing that God has called you to eternal things, it does have certain practical spiritual benefits into your life. He would say this, we'll look in the future Uh, studies. We'll be getting to chapter 3 of this epistle, but I'll just quote 1 John 3, 3 to you now. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. There is a healthy thing to know that Jesus could come today. And even if he's not coming today, I know this, Jesus is coming. And whether he comes for the church during my lifetime or whether my lifetime, whether he comes just for me, my lifetime has a date already destined to be with him. And so that knowledge should cause me to live a certain way, a a purifying work in my life. Listen, there are some things I do not want to be doing the day Jesus returns. How about you? Lord, don't come on that day. I want him to come when I'm, hopefully when I'm here preaching to you guys and everybody's getting saved and he just comes, oh, see Jesus here, look, I'm taking care of business, right? You know, my wife, uh, she goes and leads the women's retreats, right? The ladies go out on retreat once a year and they're gone for two or three days. They leave on Friday. They come back usually Sunday afternoon. So between Friday and Sunday, I live like a king, not really. I live like a slob. I just like, who cares? I don't make the bed. I leave my dirty dishes all over the house wherever I want. I just, I don't even shave. I just, eh, she's, well, the wife's gone. But Sunday, uh-uh, I'm out of here after church before she gets back. She usually gets back maybe three in the afternoon. You ought to see me between one and three. Man, I am cleaning. I am making beds. I am folding towels. I'm on it. Why? Tony's coming. (laughs) You get the idea here. Listen, live in a state of readiness. Jesus is coming. Listen, Jesus is coming. The things going on in this world, these trials, these uncertainties, these are not intended to cause the believer fear and anxiety. These are, I believe, rather intended to cause the believer the certainty that eternity is on its way. It keeps you in an eternal perspective. 
It keeps eternity alive in your heart. Listen, I believe that's a big part of even trials in our life. Let's be honest. If you and I could figure out a way to have heaven on earth, that's just what we would try to have. But listen, God doesn't want you trying to have heaven on earth. God wants you to live on the earth in preparation for heaven. And that means you're busy about the Father's business. That means you're concerned for the lost. That means that you are taking these unsettling days as an opportunity to share the truth, the truth concerning Jesus Christ. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. I pray that we would be able to say like the Apostle Paul when he came to the end of his life and he knew that his day was at hand. In 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but also to all who have loved His appearing. I love his appearing the first time he came, and I have a love for his appearing that is yet to come. Our focus needs to be on Jesus because the hour is short. Second thing that we notice John calling out here in these verses today, he says, Many antichrists have come. Many antichrists have come. So listen. The hour is late, and there is great, great spiritual warfare afoot. There is great adversity and resistance to Christ, to the gospel, to the kingdom. The church wasn't even a hundred years old. And John is identifying there's already spiritual resistance and forces against the work of the kingdom. And John wants his readers to know, don't be deceived. Don't be caught unaware. Paul would say, listen, we don't war against flesh and blood, but against spiritual things in high place, spiritual forces. There is a spiritual agenda in the earth. Can't you see it? Haven't you noticed it? As we watch the news unfold, are you not seeing these are anti-Christ forces at work? And they are stirring up trouble. John says this, uh, back to our text. You have heard that the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come. Now, by this time, Paul's writings about the Antichrist. By the way, this is, John is the only one who uses the word Antichrist. This individual that we call the Antichrist, who John calls the Antichrist, he's referenced in many places in the Bible, but only John calls him the Antichrist. The Apostle Paul calls him the man of sin, the son of perdition, the lawless one. Daniel calls him the little horn, the prince to come. In Revelation, he'll be referred to as the beast. There is what we know to be an Antichrist, an individual, end-time, world ruler that will be animated And led about by Satan himself. The full force of evil and the power of the enemy in this one individual. He will unite the world politically, religiously, economically. When he comes, he will come as a great orator, the scripture says. He will have 
uh, a great power of persuasion, and he will seem to have all the answers that the world is desperately looking for. Can we say that we're living in a time when the world is ripe for that kind of a leader? Can you imagine someone who could solve some of these problems, these security issues, these global uniting of nations, the troubles of the Middle East, someone who can solve economic things, someone who can, you know, by, by simply uh, putting a mark on your forehead and, and, and keep track of everyone everywhere all the time? Can you see that we are moving towards what the Bible has already told us will come to pass? But John is saying, listen, you've heard that this Antichrist, this end time ruler is coming. But I want you to know that even now, many Antichrists have come. John doesn't want you to like just say, hey, look, as long as you don't see the Antichrist, you know, things are okay. Look, he's saying, look, this spirit... The spiritual forces that are against Christ are already afoot. They are already come and manifesting. And so what is this spirit of Antichrist, these many Antichrists? Well, if they were alive and well in John's day, you know they're alive and well in our day, and I think we can see them. This this term, Antichrist, it means, of course, against Christ, but it can also mean instead of Christ. Anything that raises itself up to compete with the truth of Jesus Christ. Anything like that that would draw men away after idol worship or false religion. That's antichrist. That's against Christ. Anything that would replace any passion or or love that would somehow be primary in comparison to Christ. That's antichrist. And John is saying that these there are many antichrists already in place. In the context here, he's going to talk about some of the specific doctrines that the Antichrist message seems to manifest in, and we'll look at that. But we're talking about this spirit of the age, anything that comes against Christ. It can be a false religion. It can be a world philosophy. It can be false teachers. It can even be those who call themselves Christians, but are doctrinally not sound concerning the truth of Jesus Christ. Isn't this what John says? John says, listen, some were once among us, but they have left. They have departed from the faith. Look again at verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. Even in the Christian community, we need to be discerning. And he says the message here in verse 22. Look, this is what the the deceitful message will have as its marker. Who is a liar, verse 22, but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ. He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Any, Any religion, any world philosophy that minimizes Christ and who he is, and what he's done, and what his relationship is with the Father, is Antichrist. It can be very subtle. Listen, here's the way it kind of, kind of goes in our culture sometimes. Oh, yes, we believe in Jesus. We believe he's one of the ways to God. 
We don't mind you worshiping, you being kind of a a Jesus worshiper. That's your way to God. He's just not the only way. There are many ways to God. Some find God through Buddha. Some find through Allah. There are many ways to the same God, the same religious principles that we all embrace. Jesus just happens to be your way. Everybody's fine with that Jesus. But when you say, oh, no, no, wait. Jesus is the only way to God. How dare you? You arrogant, narrow-minded Christian, intolerant of all the wonderful ways to find God. You want to tell me Jesus is the only way just because Jesus happens to be your way? And what is that? That's the spirit of Antichrist. That is coming against Christ. It's coming against the teachings of Christ. These are the types of things. Listen, many, even... False religions have high views of Jesus. I was traveling some years back in Egypt. My parents invited Tony and I to do some sightseeing there. We got to see some of the ruins of Egypt, the pyramids. Wonderful trip. And we had a Muslim tour guide. And we were with this guy for numerous days. And he was a a very nice guy, great tour guide. And one of the lunches, we sat down and I said, Listen, what do you think about Jesus? Oh, I love Jesus. Jesus was a great prophet. We embrace Jesus as a wonderful prophet, and, and we, we, we have high regard for Jesus in the Muslim faith. But he's just not as great a prophet as Muhammad, and we certainly don't believe that he was any son of God, because Allah has no sons. And we don't believe that he was crucified or died on a cross. We believe that Allah took him. And they have just a very very positive, high view of Jesus, but a very wrong view of Jesus. It's a spirit of Antichrist. And so what does Jesus say about himself? You know this passage. Let me remind you, John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is sufficient for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and yet you have not known me, Philip. He who has seen me has seen the father. How can you say, show us the father? What a statement. What a declaration. Jesus, there's no other way to the Father except through me. There's only one way to God. There's only one way to eternal life. There's only one way to mercy. There's only one way to salvation. It's Jesus Christ alone. This is what John is refreshing in the heart of his, of his church uh, community. <laughs> And listen, this is what we need to refresh in our hearts again as well. It's Jesus and only Jesus. It's Jesus alone. If you've seen him, you've seen the Father. He is the Son of God. He is the exact representation of God. And he is the only mediator between man and God. It is a narrow way. Oh, it's becoming more and more of an unpopular theology this Christianity. 
You can talk about God all you want. God bless. God, oh, God bless America. God bless you. God bless me. But you start talking about Jesus and you watch the spirit of Antichrist rise up. Don't you dare talk about Jesus. How important is it for us, church, to be preaching and teaching Jesus Christ? That's where the power is. That's where the message that the world is desperately needing. It lies in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nothing else will save. Nothing else will redeem. Nothing else will clear the cloud of confusion and faulty, sinful, depraved thinking. It is Jesus Christ. And you and I are the body of Christ. Oh, it may not be popular, but it is the only message of light in a dark time. Paul said, no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. He is the rock. He is the foundation of our faith. John is reminding those church believers, anybody that has any other ideas about Jesus is a liar and is the spirit of Antichrist. Finally here, and we'll close, the third thing that comes to me from the text that I'd like to draw your attention to. He says, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. Look, the time is short. The spiritual forces are at work. Antichrist's spirits are everywhere. But you, believer, you have an anointing from the Holy One. What's he talking about, this anointing from the Holy One? Well, I believe he's talking about the Holy Spirit. I believe he's talking about that seal and, and residence of God in the believer's life. Now, we've got some different ideas today about anointing. You hear that word anointing kind of thrown around a little bit, maybe even sometimes in kind of Pentecostal ways. Oh, the anointing was on him today. Oh, I'm feeling the anointing. When I was in college, I was just a freshman in college. It's a Christian college. I was just barely saved. I didn't know anything. And uh, I met this, this buddy of mine in, in our dorm. Uh, he was from St. Paul, Minnesota. He, he and I became friends. And we heard about this Bible study across campus. Oh, you got to go to this Bible study. The anointing is so powerful there. I thought, wow. We said, well, we don't know what that is, but we got to go check this out. So we went, and I'm telling you, this one brother prayed for this other brother. He said, now, when I pray for you, the anointing is going to come on you. And he laid his hands on him, and he prayed for him. And this guy, he started dancing and jumping and spinning and twirling all over the room. I thought, man, if that's the anointing, <laughs> I'm not a good dancer. I don't want that kind of anointing. I, I can't imagine that kind of anointing coming over and taking over. I mean, this guy was just happy feet all over the room. And oh, they were sh- jumping and clapping and shouting. Oh, the anointing has come. Now listen, I do believe that there are moments when the Holy Spirit comes in a very powerful, and sometimes even a unique way. You know, I, I think that we, we could say, yeah, I, I kind of understand that idea of anointing, that there are moments when the Spirit of God is just so profound, and you know He's just in the middle of whatever's going on. Maybe He's speaking to you. Maybe it's a service you've come to. Maybe it's a worship song, and you sense very strongly the Holy Spirit's ministry. But what John, I think, is saying 
He's talking to all believers that would read this letter. He's saying, listen, all of you sincere Christians, you have the anointing. The Holy Spirit is in you. The Holy Spirit will come upon you. The Holy Spirit is the anointing of God. Anointing simply means, it literally means like an application of oil. The oil is something of a symbolic representation in the scriptures of the Holy Spirit. It means that God has set his seal of the Holy Spirit upon your life. And this anointing, John says, will lead you into truth. You're going to know the truth. I'm not writing to you because you don't know, but because you do know. And because the anointing of God is upon you. And this is exactly what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit. Back in John 16, verse 13, Jesus said, When he, the Spirit of truth, has come, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, and he will t- for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus said, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. My Father is sending the Holy Spirit, and He's going to be the Spirit of truth, and He's going to guide you. He's going to lead you. And He's always, always going to glorify me. The Holy Spirit always glorifies Christ. It doesn't glorify a man or a ministry or a church or a, or a service. It glorif- the Holy Spirit, He always comes to glorify Christ. And John is simply referencing what he heard from Jesus. Look, There's a lot going on. There's a lot of confusion. The spirit of Antichrist is active. But you have an anointing from God, the Holy Spirit. He's your keeper. He's your helper. He's your protector. He's your spirit of truth. He'll guide you. He'll lead you. And this is a great promise for the believer. Jesus would even say this, an amazing statement in John 16 and verse 5. He says, now I go away to him who sent me, and none of you asks me where are you going, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper, the Holy Spirit, will not come to you, but if I depart... I will send him to you. What a profound statement. Jesus talking to his disciples. They're sad. He's saying, I'm departing. I'm leaving. I'm getting ready to go to the cross. And you can imagine that would be sad. Jesus, we don't want to lose you. Jesus says, no, listen, it's to your advantage that I go. How could that possibly be an advantage to have Jesus leave? To have Jesus gone. You've spent three and a half years with him every day. He's provided. You've seen miracles. His wisdom, his teaching, his person, his character. I don't ever want to be away from him. Jesus says, no. There's something better than just walking alongside my person here on earth. I'm going to come. Jesus said, me and my father, we are going to come and make our home in you. It's a better, something better than having Jesus with you is having Jesus through the Holy Spirit in you. Wherever you go, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to re- You're going to be born again. I'm going to change you from the inside out. That's better than having Jesus alongside. I'd like to have Jesus within. That's where I need the work. How about you? I need the Lord to change my heart. I need the Lord to direct my mind, my thinking. I need the Lord to open up scriptures to me as I read them. I need the wisdom of God in dealing with my family, my life, my my work. 
I need the Spirit of God actively engaged in my moment-by-moment living out in this Christian faith. And John says, listen, you have him. You have this anointing. You have this Spirit of God. He will teach you. He will change you. He will empower you. And this is the blessing for the Christian today as well as it was for John. You have the Holy Spirit. Now, the Holy Spirit can be quenched. The Bible tells us that we can just kind of ignore the Holy Spirit, like putting a fire out and just put that out, dampen it down because we were too busy living our own agenda. So the Holy Spirit, he comes to guide, he comes to speak, he comes to lead. But no, we just silence him and lead and quench and lead our own way. The Holy Spirit, the Bible says, he can also be grieved. The Holy Spirit in you is grieved because of the way you are living your life, the way you're not giving place to what God has. Have you ever grieved the Holy Spirit? Boy, I know I have. It's almost like an instant knowing too, you know, oh God, what have I done? Why did I say that? Oh Lord, I was so foolish and the grieving in my heart and I have to repent and I have to get my heart right and I confess and I receive forgiveness and I I keep that, that relationship with him and the Holy Spirit in me alive and I, and I need to be sensitive. I want to be guided and led by him. And John is saying, listen, this is your protection in a spirit of antichrist, in a spirit of confusion and all these other voices. You need to hear the voice of God in your heart through his word and the anointing of his Holy Spirit who will guide you and lead you into all truth. I pray that the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now. I pray that as every time I get up here, listen, you don't need my wisdom. You need the word of God brought alive by the Holy Spirit in your heart. And you know what that feels like, don't you? You know when that word just like, boom, lands on you, finds its mark in your heart. Whoa, how did the pastor know that's what was going on? I had no idea, but the Holy Spirit knew. And he brings his word to life in your heart. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. It's an ongoing, everyday fellowship, having your mind renewed, having the Spirit of God, a vital part of your Christian walk and experience. Aren't you thankful? It's not just this kind of intellectual thing that we go through. It's the Spirit of God bringing to life within us Jesus Christ and who He is and what He's done. And listen, He's saved us. He died on that cross for our sins. No one else could. No one else would. But he did. And that truth resonates in my heart, I'll tell you, louder than anything else that's going on today. I'm not saying that I'm not moved by these things. I'm not saying that I'm not watching and wondering what's next. But I'm telling you, beneath it all, Jesus said, my peace I leave with you, a peace not like the world gives, give I unto you. And that assurance of who he is, who I am in him, and that his spirit is with me, guiding me and leading me, that's a great comfort, even in troubled times. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word today. We thank you for this reminder that it is the last hour and that there are many antichrists already active in our day.
But we are thankful that there is an anointing upon our lives, a touch of the Holy Spirit that has made Jesus and your word come to life within us every day, all the time. Jesus, I pray. I pray for my own heart. I pray for this church and all who are here. I know for me, Lord, I want to preach Jesus Christ and him crucified. I want to preach and declare the gospel in the way I live, in every opportunity that I have to speak, in every moment, Lord, I want to be mindful of bringing the truth of Jesus Christ in and through my life. And I pray for each of us here today, Lord, that that truth would kind of recenter in our hearts. It's having the Son who has given us the Father, who has deposited the Holy Spirit, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. We worship you. We love you. We embrace you today. As our heads are bowed here today and we close in a song of worship, just before we sing, if you just allow me to pray for anyone here today needing to respond to the Lord. If you're here today and you do not have this relationship that we're talking about with Jesus, you know about Jesus, but you don't know him as your Lord and Savior, the one who died on the cross for your sins. You've never come to that true embrace of faith, received it, and, in, and invited him into your life. I'd love to pray for you if the Lord is speaking to you today. Or if you need to rededicate, recommit your life to the Lord, I'd like to pray for you too. John talked about people who had once at one time had been with us, but then they went out and departed from us. And it seems that some even who once walked close to the Lord, their lives drift away to a place where they're not even walking close in relationship with Him at all. And maybe that's you here today. You, you, you know what? The time is short. I, I've been kind of been living as if I, you know, He's not returning anytime soon. I've lost my way spiritually. I want to come back to the Lord. I want to re recommit my heart to Christ. I'd like to pray for you too. If you're here. You want to receive Christ. You would like to rededicate your life to Christ. Would you please just raise your hand. Let me see you. And I'll pray for you. Back there on the aisle. Here. A couple hands on the aisle here as well. In the, in the left middle on this. The other side. God bless you. I see here on my left. On the far right up front. Any others? Four or five people responding. Lord, speaking to you, you need to come to Christ. You need to come back to Christ. He loves you. John writes these words that we might know the truth, that we might experience the, the peace, the joy, the confidence of Christ in our lives. Anyone else here just before I pray? The back in the middle section. God bless you. And so, Lord, for these hearts responding to you today, 
I pray that you would meet them afresh and anew. There may be some here that are, for the very first time, coming to you. There may be some that are coming back. They've drifted, they've lost their way, and they just need to come and recommit their hearts to you. In either case, Lord, I pray and believe that you welcome them with loving and gracious arms, that their hearts would be sincere and honest before you, that they would declare, Jesus, I need you to forgive me. Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and begin to change my life. I want your anointing upon my life, that touch from your spirit to change me from within. I believe you died on the cross for me. I can't be righteous in my own ability, but I believe that you have cleansed me and you have given me your righteousness that I can stand in confidence today. I receive it all by faith now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Calvary Chapel, Monrovia. We pray you have been blessed by this sermon. For more information, please visit www.ccmonrovia.org.